The dead dive. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead dive. What, Todd Hunter? What, Selby? Not Chen. He's dead, Dave. Everybody is dead. Everybody is dead, Dave. Welcome to Everybody Is Dead Dave, the Red Dwarf review podcast with two perspectives usually. Mine, as someone who has been watching the show for decades, and Adam, who has been watching it through for the very first time. Hello. <laughs> and this week we have a third perspective for it is our very first guest on the podcast to review the episode with us. Welcome to the podcast, Mr. Jamie Statch. I got your name all muddled up there in my mouth. <laughs> Mr. Jamie Stangroom. <laughs> It is a mouthful. It's taken me 30 plus years to, to get used to my own surname. So don't worry, Philip. Don't worry. Terrible. Thank how, you for having me. How, uh, how rude of me to bungle my guest's name on, on the very first opening. <laughs> <laughs> if you're wondering who Jamie is, Jamie is a pop culture YouTube channel with a heavy Star Wars focus called The Geek End. Uh, that is how you pronounce it, isn't it? Geek End. It is. You got that one right. Yeah, it's spelt like um, it's spelt like the. Um, he's not a rapper. He's more of a pop star. Oh, is it like days, the weekend? It? It's like the weekend. Yeah. It's that sort of spelling without the the e. So it's geek n d. Mm. I hate coming up with names. It's the best I could do. <laughs> uh, Jamie is also a radio presenter, a music journalist, and I like this. According to his blurb on his management's website, a professional celebrity botherer. <laughs> I mean, like, I suppose, yeah, that was uh, that's that's ancient. I'm not even with. Uh, I don't even have a, an agent anymore. So that is that that is out of date. That, that is, is out, out of date. date. You're but, still you on know, the website, so maybe you're, they're still getting inquiries about he, you. He's clinging on, mate. He's clinging on. Uh, to be <laughs> honest, I never formally, uh, I never formally, we've never formally departed, but. Um, uh, I sort of went off in a different direction, um, doing sort of live sport events abroad, which was great, great mm. uh, timing for a pandemic. Live yeah. events with an audience <laughs> in international uh, territories around the world. So, um, yeah, but no, uh, in, uh, I still do the odd bit of radio, though. So that some of that was still relevant. But the question is, Jamie, yes. how much Red Dwarf had you watched before this week? Before this week? Before uh, I asked you to watch this episode for this review, had you watched it ever before? Yeah, I've probably seen a lot more than I think, because obviously being a Brit growing, growing up in the UK, um, it's one of those things that we've all seen, you know, whether it was just on in the background, we've all stumbled across it, I think anyway, at some point. Um, you know, I, I, was it, it was repeated a lot on, was it Gold? And I imagine oh, it's yes. the kind of thing Dave repeats gold, quite a bit as well. Gold, which then became Dave, yeah. Yeah, Gold became Dave. And is Dave still Dave or has Dave been renamed? Dave is still Dave. Dave. Dave is still Dave. That's good. That's good to hear. Um, So, you know, I have probably seen more Red Dwarf than I know. However, I never got I never got hooked. I never sort of uh, tuned in, especially for it. It's I suppose it's one of those shows if it's on and I'm sat down and, you know, back in the day when we actually sat down and watched television, uh, then I wouldn't necessarily change the channel to to get away from it. You know, I, I. I found it quite comfortable sort of uh, viewing, but again, didn't go out of my way to uh, to watch it. So I, I can't remember many episodes beyond the one that I've watched uh, exclusively for the podcast. <laughs> um, but again, I've probably seen more than I than I think. 
So this is, you really are the third perspective on this then, because you've got me who's literally watched every episode, Adam who is watching it for the very first time, and you who's kind yes. of in the middle and has been an off and on casual sort of caught the occasional episode over the years. Kind um, of. Yeah. Kind of in the middle. It's a blurry middle though, Less. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, this episode is called Polymorph. Um, and it mm. finds the Red Dwarf crew encountering the Polymorph, a genetically engineered space mutant that has crashed into Red Dwarf and that drains negative emotions from humans. Um, this st- it started with a, a sort of very ominous pre-credits warning that this episode might not be suitable for everyone, which is very ominous. What everybody yeah. thought about that. What, what, when you saw that, what did you think was going to be coming? Well... I mean, having having seen two seasons by this point, we've sort of said before that like Red Dwarf ties that very fine line. You know, it's not an adult show. Do you know what I mean? It's not completely over the top in that sense, but it does like its innuendos. It does like to push the boundaries. So when it says, you know, this uh, this contains scenes for younger that may not be suitable for younger audiences, I was like, hang about, are we? Is that line getting crossed? And if so, how are we crossing it? So. Yeah, it was, but you say very ominous. It was done like very mm. seriously, not really done for laughs, which is very unread dwarf to me at least. But yeah. yeah, I'm trying to think what would have been classed as potentially um, unsuitable back then. Uh, I mean, yeah, there's innuendos. I, I remember a line, uh, "You'll bonk anything, Lister." I don't know, perhaps <laughs> if that yeah. moment was uh, perhaps deemed to be potentially unsuitable for. Uh, Younger viewers, uh, it was a, a warning that I defied because I'm currently um, <laughs> riding on the crest of the wave of not being in the vaccine eligible group yet. For the first time in a long time, I'm sort of classed as young, uh, which uh, uh, I think you two might be as well. So it's uh, it's, it's a yeah. lovely feeling. So at one point I had to I just, before, you know, when I heard the warning, I had to sort of stop myself and think, am I able to carry on with this? You know, am I <laughs> am I of age for this? Uh, even though I should add, I have I have actually had the vaccine, but uh, that's a long story. but you you decided that your parents would uh be okay with you watching this and you persevered (laughs) well you know what like most of my potential red dwarf viewing would have taken place at uh my mum's house for sure anyway so uh presumably yeah i think i I think i started watching it when i was about seven years old so i you know even though it's probably wildly inappropriate the whole series for a seven-year-old to watch (laughs) so can i I, ask you are those uh are those warnings was that a one-off that, yeah. that warning. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so I, I have a feeling that they put it in to, to try and create this feeling. Because I don't think there was really anything in this episode that was any more more unsuitable like, for the younger nose, viewers. Than yeah. maybe, maybe the mm. sort of creature that we'll come to later, but that, that creature maybe might have been a bit too scary for some kids, I guess. But the humour and mm. stuff, that kind of you know, reference the bonking and stuff like that. That's that's all throughout Red Dwarf. And it was a post-Watershed show, I think. It was on at 9pm, so... Eh. Yeah, got away yeah, with it. Yeah, I think it was mostly there to create this ominous kind of feeling, which then carries on into the next... There's a voiceover post the credits as well about uh, yeah. this sort of creepy voiceover not to open the genetic uh, waste pod. Danger. Do not attempt to open this pod. The creature inside is extremely hostile. It feeds off the human psyche, seeks out the deranged, the unbalanced, and the emotionally crippled. 
I don't know if you thought this, but that like the whole first few minutes of it, you know, the waste pod and then like panning around the red dwarf ship and stuff. It all felt, and there's moments throughout the sh- in this episode, is it felt almost something like you know, like Alien or yeah. Aliens, that feeling of like claustrophobia on a or like gloominess on a ship, which again. For me, at least, having watched two seasons in a row was very odd because it's usually straight into comedy or wacky stuff happening. But all of a sudden, it's like, no, no, we're going with the serious music and the creeping camera shots. And it made me wonder if, if it was almost like a weird... I guess in the polymorph itself, was the whole thing maybe like, you know, sort of homage to things like Alien or Aliens and things of that nature? Yeah, I think probably. I mean, if you look at the creature, it's even got like the mouth within a mouth thing mm-hmm. like Alien. I think it's probably a homage to it. It's got to yeah. be. And there's all the, you know, when they're in the, uh, like, cargo bay area and, and they've got the bazookoid guns and things, That's it all feels very like, that's that's like Ripley holding the big the big bazooka-type yeah. gun. Yeah. It, it's got to be a deliberate alien <laughs> parody, I think. Or not par- parody? Yeah, I suppose parody. Parody kind of yeah. works. Yeah. Uh, so... The, the the thing that they, they created this mood and i don't know about anybody else it, it felt immediately slightly undercut when we saw the creature not necessarily initially and it was quite a small creature but not by the look of it necessarily but by the noises it was making <laughs> did anybody else notice that it was kind of like making these very comical little like is that when it was a sausage or a kebab even no no before then when it was <laughs> oh, before when it then first immediately after the opening credits you have the voiceover and then you see yeah. it sort so of on like the scuttling. ship and it's scuttling yeah. around and it's, ah, it's yeah, this yeah. like yeah. sort of rat-sized creature and, yeah, sorry, and it's making yeah. these yeah. weird little noises and it sounds like a, a grumbly old man like <laughs> yeah. yeah and it kind of undercut the creepiness that they just put in but maybe that was deliberate yeah, I don't it kind know. of sounded Did... like we were bothering it as opposed to it should be bothering <laughs> us you know yeah come um, on come on <laughs> yeah I just Turn say it's cut I, I wrote in my notes uh, I just put um, oh look a wonderfully cheap prop I was like ah okay and I know you know it's a bless it you know it's a late 80s BBC sci-fi show so of course the budget's gonna be stretched in some departments but I thought it almost would have, because what's weird is later on that the full polymorph if you like you know when it's really big and all that that was actually I thought quite impressive for the time so maybe would yeah. it maybe it could have been done like a completely from a POV shot you know you can slab the noises even but I don't know if maybe revealing it straight away was the I, I don't think I would have done that but I mean what did you guys think you, I mean like yes it was funny but would you have saved like the big reveal as well or because the reveal came quite quickly it sort of burst out of a bin didn't it yeah. in terms of its full form of being mm. a, <laughs> yeah, a monstrous yeah. uh, emotion stealing uh, beast yeah i was sort of wondering again a bit like you adam i suppose not having anything to really or as far as i know to base it on in terms of other uh red dwarf uh, special effects uh and mm. um creatures and what have you but um i was i wasn't sure if it was um so this is late 80s isn't it i wasn't sure if yeah. it you know, around then you had sort of the dark crystal and what have you. There was some good mm. Jim Henson sort of um, dark, uh, slightly scary creatures out there. So I wasn't sure if this was a budget thing or if it was meant to be knowingly a little bit, you yeah, know, like a little a bit, bit bad as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't know of that time. But um, one thing I think I know is that, and um, maybe uh, Philip will correct. Well, Philip, correct me if I'm wrong. But um, 
I used to work at the, this bit. I do know. I used to work um, at the building where they made Red Dwarf. So Red Dwarf um, oh, was nice. made at the the original BBC Television Centre in West London, which is now sort of owned by the BBC in a much smaller capacity and rented out mostly to ITV. And mm. I think they use Studio six or studio eight maybe both and studio eight was sort of known as the comedy studio and that's where they did a lot of monty python and um only fools and horses you know a lot of the classic bbc comedies Mm. and one of the many jobs i've done over the years for the bbc and in that building um i used to do the odd day of uh tour guiding so we had like uh, mostly um grumpy french students who didn't know anything (laughs) about the bbc uh being dragged around and uh you're having to sort of sell I don't know, um, Eggheads to them, because Eggheads filmed there as well, even though that was ITV uh, back then. Um, But I remember one of the many things we were told in terms of sort of anecdotes to pass on to people uh, attached to the various studios was whichever one Red Dwarf was made in, whether it was eight or six, I'm sure it moved around. um, I remember the budget being mentioned in one of the anecdotes we were told. And a lot of the kind of, obviously, a TV studio is obviously, you know, a big empty box and you bring in your set and you build the magic um and a lot of the kind of you know the soundproofing and the kind of the the ladders and the sort of um you know the metal work uh the stairways that lead up to like the galleries etc a lot of a lot of it looked sort of naturally uh futuristic because this was like the first purpose-built television center uh in the Mm. world i believe and a lot of it you know back then especially looked futuristic and uh, spaceship-like. And I'm told that they ran out of budget on Red Dwarf. And actually, instead of building sets uh, for parts of the ship, they actually used just the actual studio (laughs) in its bare form and would occasionally, you know, put some foil over, you know, a red handle or something if they needed to. So uh, from what I'm gathering, from that anecdote we were given, which may have been a lie, uh, (laughs) the budget was an issue for the show. Yeah, I imagine it must have been. I think I don't because I'm when you were telling me that I was thinking, oh, was that the cargo bay scenes and stuff like that? Was that what they did well, there? You know, when they were um, when they had the sort of the weird kind of the gun firing out the little ball things that eventually yeah. take out the the beast. Um, that looked to me like the actual studio. I mean, obviously they're in the actual <laughs> studio at all times, but to me that looked like one of the sort of gangways to the side of the studio. But uh, there was a bit yeah. of um, there was one shot in particular where I thought that's the studio and they have not done much to it. Yeah, well, I suppose yeah. the, the the aesthetics of this kind of... It's a very industrial ship. So gangways, metal gangways and stuff like that, like you have it like going around a studio and metal mm. stairs and things like that, probably works quite well. That's kind of all I can bring to the party, by the way, Red Dwarf-wise, in terms of, <laughs> <laughs> in terms of Red Dwarf trivia. That's a cool story, though, to be fair. Like, that's pretty cool. So, yeah, it was it was made... Um, if, if this is all correct, it was made on the same floor that... You know, Falls and Horses, Faulty Towers, etc. were made. Oh, there we yeah. go. I know they filmed some of it in Manchester, so I don't know. Don't ruin it now. Don't ruin it now. <laughs> don't <laughs> ruin it now. No, I'm sure they also filmed some in London, so I'm, I'm sure it was some in Manchester, some in London. That's what it was. Yeah. But it was in front of a live studio audience, um, wasn't it? As yeah. Well. So a lot of the BBC comedies the there were. second series, maybe. I don't right. think every series has been filmed in front of an yeah. audience, but... Some there was one has. where I couldn't tell if they were being because obviously like an actor's job I suppose is especially when doing comedy it's so hard if the comedy's good not to 
corpse, as they say, you know, and start laughing yourself. And I couldn't tell there was, you know, near the beginning when List, uh, when Lister's dishing out the meal, but he's stolen everything from the med bay, mm. and he gets that flask of red liquid, which I'm, you know, I'm assuming could be anything, and the audience are giggling, and Craig Charles himself is like smiling, but it was one of those smiles where you're like, I couldn't tell. I was like, is that the character smiling, or is that use because the audience are like doing that. You know that lovely like build giggle audiences do. It yeah. starts small, and you just it. It was one of those, and you just look at his face, and I was like, "Are you trying your best not to?" Not, I mean, it works for the scene; it's not a problem. But you just you just see it sometimes. You know, you think, "Oh, hang on, are you? <laughs> is it cracking there?" But did you guys realize with the monster um, that it, when it started transforming initially, when it was that weird rat creature? into a ball and a rabbit and of various other things did you get what was going on straight away because i was i i knew what was going to happen anyway i knew what the creature was and what it could do going into watching it this time so what did you get what was going on straight away um i i i didn't i I didn't look at the title. Uh, I didn't pay attention to the title <laughs> anyway I, I was <laughs> I came to this very last minute today and uh I, as as I said earlier, my first sort of memory as we started the discussion was when it was on his uh, on his plate as a as a what well, looked like a sausage, but I think he said it was a kebab, didn't he? Um, I guess a, like a kofta, I suppose. Space but, um, kebab, yeah, space kebab. Um, so no, I I have to I have to admit I didn't. However, if I paid attention to the title, I probably would have um, you know cottoned on. Yeah. What about so, you, Adam? Well, as a uh, as a kid who grew up on things like Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and Transformers, or, you know, or Transmorphers, those are knockoff ones. So as soon as I saw the word morph in the title, I was like, okay, yeah, I think uh, I think the I know what this is about. But yeah, it was it's always a cool concept, and um, yeah, I was excited to see how it was going to be implemented in this in in Red Dwarf. And I think for the most part, I'm sure we'll come on to certain bits, but I think for the most part, it, they pulled it off. Yeah. Uh, one thing I really liked about this episode, for the first time, I mean, uh, Jamie, you won't know that Crichton as a character only got introduced at the beginning of this series. Well, no, technically he was introduced at the beginning of series two, but then he wasn't in the rest of series two. But as a main character, he's only been around since the beginning of this series. And the, and this is the fourth episode, and it's kind of the first one where they've actually done anything with him. So he's been just sort of there in the background doing the occasional line for like not really being a major part of the plot, but I quite like that they used him a lot more in this episode um, than they had done that. What do you think, Adam? Because well, yeah, it's nice to see Robert Llewellyn, who plays Crichton, sort of flex his muscles a bit more. And I mean, the whole nature of what the polymorph does, I suppose, from an actor's standpoint, it gives them a challenge. That whole thing of removing an emotion and like I think it's it's important to like when you lose an emotion as a character to be able to play that but not i think even in a case like this over exaggerate it too much like yes they they emphasize on it but i think robert llewellyn Crichton, and on all of them do that really well like the way their characters change when they lose an emotion so yeah and it's nice to see him do something different i will say like he's got his american accent but i don't know if you two heard it but you know when they when they descend the three of them when lister's knocked out when the three of them descend to the floor and um Crichton goes it's here but I swear he says that in a British accent. And like oh, the, those know. lines, those lines going down, it just sounded very British. And that was where I wrote in my notes that whole, we sort of said earlier, that descent to the vaults, if you like. It felt very, again, alien. And I wrote like, is it 
I don't know the Alien films that well, like word for word, but I was like, is that is that a line for line thing? You know, because I could imagine the Alien cast going, oh, it's here about the Xenomorph. So again, I thought, is this an Alien reference? It could be. I don't know the Alien films that well mm. either. Uh, I don't know about well, Jamie. Do you know how well do you know the Alien films? I, I know them. <laughs> I've seen them. I've seen them. Um, yeah, I, that's I, about I, me. I, I, I've I seen wouldn't them many call years this ago. a parody of Alien. Um, I don't know them. You know. Um, scene by scene off by heart i don't know them super well beyond having just seen them but still from that casual point of view i would still say this this surely was influenced at least by uh oh, sure. alien films i, I wouldn't yeah. say it was a straight up parody though sorry I, I assume that Crichton was um always part of the furniture to be honest yeah well he's been in it so long now and he's still in it to this day because they're still ma- i don't know if you know this they're still making red dwarf <laughs> they make it came they, back yeah it came back yeah it comes back every so often they'll like make a random new series so they had a special last year that they made and so Crichton has been in it since the late 80s so it kind of feels like he's always been there but it, the yeah. show didn't start with him in it it had two seasons yeah. without without him in the main cast and to I their um, relationship jamie yeah go on no, I was saying I had a similar thing to you, because oh. obviously when we started this podcast, having never seen any Red Dwarf, I'd only seen pictures of the main cast, and of course Crichton's there. So then when I started with Phil, <laughs> the thing on the first episode, I was like, where's the funny-looking, angular-headed person? Yeah, exactly, and he's, like... and he's he's visually one of the most kind of, um, for me at least, one of the most memorable. So when you say Red Dwarf, he is actually maybe the first character I think of. And yeah. when they made the ill-fated pilots in america american they made tried to make an american version of it and he was the uh robert llewellyn who plays um plays Crichton, was the only cast member that got taken over to america to be in the american pilot as well so clearly they also thought that he was quite unique and irreplaceable in fact did the og version do any good in america uh, I think it. I think it must have done relatively well enough like to them, for them to want to make an American version. It was probably. Yeah. I don't know this. This is just me spitballing, but I guess it was on something like PBS or something like that, and in a similar way that Doctor Who was, and probably got a bit of a cult following. And they thought, oh, we could make a a bigger network. Probably thought, oh, we can make an American version of this, uh, but it did not go well. It did not get past the pilot <laughs> stage. And from the clips I've seen, I can understand why. It's not good. <laughs> uh, Crichton, though, he gets... Uh, I, I, I found it hilarious, his... Um, what did he call it? His groinal sockets for... <laughs> he can attach many implements to for oh hoovering, uh, vacuum cleaning, and other such tasks. Even whisking eggs, I believe, was one of the attachments he has for his groinal socket. Oh boy. I just wrote Crichton's Hoover in my notes. <laughs> just to summarize it, but oh my I mean as soon as as soon as you see him I was about to say whip it out, but that's the wrong thing to say. Um as soon as you see it, you sort of think, right, okay, it's gonna be innuendos a go go here now, I think. You know Well yeah, this was this was um that was moments before the uh, your bonk anything line was uh it was, unleashed, yeah, with uh, yes. That of, whole escapade. Yeah. <laughs> Because that comes after uh, uh, after the creature gets revealed, doesn't it? Because he he um, well, his underpants are shrinking, aren't they? It turns into mm. underpants, and then yeah. Lister puts them on, and yeah. they start to shrink. And Crichton is, of course, helping him get them off. 
which is when Rimmer, of course, comes in and sees this, uh, <laughs> this kerfuffle on the floor. Well, I can't say I'm totally shocked. <laughs> You'll bonk anything, won't you, Lister? Before that, no. though, we, I did also like, because the, the whole Crichton thing, it was good to get some character stuff from him, which we haven't really got much of before. And also, uh, Lister and the cat had a nice scene with all of the the cooking scene and the the medic. Yeah. He was using all the medical equipment to cook with, which put cat off the food, which I thought was all. In their now very well. white living quarters, we've gone from all grey to all white. In yeah, the different which series. is also very <laughs> alien, isn't it? Isn't they? They that's. That's I always think white. white in sci-fi, I don't know what you two think about this, but I f- like white rooms in sci-fi always feel like very sterile in a mm. way. Like, yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, it's very sort of space 1990. No, 2001 S- A Space Odyssey, that's the one I'm thinking that's of. That's the one. So had it <laughs> changed um, by the season or by this episode, it it gone from grey to white? I'd yeah, say they by, changed the set. Yeah, I'd say by series, because I, I think we saw it... Um, when was it now? I think we saw it like br- briefly at the start of this series, but this is the first episode of series three where we've seen the living quarters in full, if you like. But in series one and two, it was very, it was similar design, but it was all grey. Like it was that lovely, well, the whole ship was, wasn't it? That whole lovely Military late eighties BBC grey. It's like, what color shall we have for a ship? I know grey and nothing else. But um, like, there is lots of color splashed about. All that, like, I love the scenes. Like, I, I keep saying in the vaults. I know it's not the vaults, but when they descend. I loved, you know, all those, like, you know, blue, like, mood lights and purple, like, the dashes of it. It made me remember, did you ever got a laser zone as a kid or as an adult? You know, those oh, sort yeah. of, like... Laser quests, where, yeah. Yeah, there's, like, la- warehouse, like, maze-type things. Yeah. Obviously, their guns, like, they had, like, power packs on, and I was like, Dry oh, this ice. is just, like... Yeah, yeah, and all the... T- I was just like, this is just a massive game of laser zone. Like, yeah, it was laser quest in Coventry where I was from, but I, I loved oh. it. I, I would. Uh, I remember it when it closed down. It was uh, it's part of the reason I moved to London. To be honest, I was I was mortified. To find the laser but, quests. Yeah, I still, I still haven't found one. To be honest, fifteen years. They're very. Later. Uh, they're, they're, I think they're very nineties, aren't they? Laser quests, eighties oh, and nineties. Yeah. I don't know if they're as big I anymore. I did find one um, two years ago, actually, in uh, Sydney, Australia. That's how far I had to travel to find. <laughs> I was there anyway, but um, that's the last time I did laser quest. But yeah, I, I, I feel that vibe as well. We get uh, Rimmer is watching his. Uh, sort of home videos of his brothers bullying him, but he's watching them in a very nostalgic way. I get, it made me feel sorry for Rimmer somewhat. Yeah, I wrote that. I just felt... Because throughout the... Well, again, like, in the last few episodes, he's had moments like this where he'll talk about his past and how he was, like, bullied or the butt of a joke. And obviously it's played for laughs, but... Yeah, you sort of feel sorry. He's a snark. He's a. I was about to say something really rude. Then he's a snarky so and so, is what I'll say. But yeah, you do feel sorry for him in in bits like this. How do you feel, Jamie? How do you feel about Rimmer, like as a character, generally? Take, yeah, taking this episode, I suppose, alone, um, I don't have maybe the same um, feeling as you both. Feeling sorry for him, I don't have an emotional connection to him, I guess, you know, just coming into this episode cold. So I don't have that emotion for, you know, for the beast to take away. Um, But I, therefore, but I do actually, I do remember him being the kind of uptight, bossy, you know, snarky, as as, as, uh, I think Adam said, um, one of the gang. 
I do yeah. remember that from, you know, previous uh, blurry experiences of uh, watching uh, Red Dwarf. So, um, yeah, but I, I have to put that aside and just coming into this episode cold, um, I didn't feel sorry for him, you know, because I just, met, I just met That's the guy, fair. really, you know. Yeah, That's yeah. That's fair, yeah. I'm sorry, it takes time for me time. to build, you know, feelings. <laughs> it takes a bit. <laughs> Can't have them all on the first go, can you? So, no. Um, one thing I, I wanted to mention is it's in that scene, actually, when Crichton comes in and there's the whole, when we see Rimmer's mother and, um, you know, Crichton says, oh, it's look at that silly old trout. And then you've got the whole back and forth with all the fish puns. Now, I, I, you know, guys, I like my puns, right? I don't mind a pun, but I felt that whole thing went on for maybe a little bit too long for me. Like that by the time it finished, I was like the joke for me at least stopped being funny pretty quickly after it was introduced i don't know what did you two think i didn't make a note on that it doesn't sort of um it's not sitting in my mind uh as being something that stood out it's going on too long i i'm, I'm like you though I, I love a good pun uh mm. and i don't remember getting tired of that i mean I, I i have to say i think the um i think the episode durations are absolutely perfect you know, oh, like yeah. 26 minutes yeah. or something. I think, um, you know, it, uh, it flew by, uh, to be honest. But I that didn't stand out to me as going on too long, to be honest. No, me neither. I think sometimes the jokes, I, I think especially in series one and two, we found the jokes could sometimes be a bit laboured and go on for too long for a quite weak punchline. But I liked this one. It kind of, because it also plays into revealing some stuff about Crichton's character as well, because he is... True. The way he's programmed is to always serve, always be polite and stuff. Uh, so it sets up quite nicely how he changes when the polymorph gets hold of him, and it and it removes his what what is it? It removes from him. Is it his politeness or it's guilt? I think his guilt. It yes, it removes his yeah. guilt. So he feels really bad when he you know says something negative about somebody or however accidentally so this sets up quite nicely sort of thematically for later on for when he gets attacked by the polymorph and just generally for his character throughout the series he's it's i him trying well eventually i think he tries to be rude about rimmer but struggles with it because of his programming so it kind of sets up some nice stuff there as well i think so no i don't think it labored too much Oh, that's fair. I, I, maybe I just don't like long jokes. <laughs> maybe that's it, I, what, maybe that's that's what I've learned is... over the course of three series. <laughs> that is probably your most reoccurring criticism, I think. Of, it is, of it is. That. I... Okay. Almost every episode, there's a joke that you felt went on too long. <laughs> Listeners, I like comedy, I swear, okay? It's just, <laughs> I maybe have a very short attention span. That is very likely, okay? <laughs> so... I, really lo- I really liked it when all of the, the various changes that the characters go through when they get hit by the thing um they were all brilliant in various Mm. different ways uh lister having his sense of fear sucked out of him and then he goes all like yeah yeah what you you know you start in like if you if you want Mm. a barney i'll give you one that kind of like bravado type attitude that he he sort of inhabits because he's got no fear now um yeah. was it reminds me of people i used to meet on nights out as a student in liverpool <laughs> yeah <laughs> just reminded me of that people that yeah. have got a bit too much dutch courage and then uh start to think they can uh have a fight with anyone yeah yeah although no, I... I... sorry go on jamie go no on. i was going no you were probably gonna say something far more interesting 
uh, absolutely, than me, Adam. You absolutely go first. wasn't, don't you worry. Are you sure? <laughs> no, I was yeah, just, no, uh, you go just going on the, um, on the kind of... Um, uh, having the you know the the various uh, emotions taken away from them, it was you know the Crichton one was coming into this cold again, not knowing you know what the characters are usually like you know so um, uh, Lister having his fear taken away. Well, I, I you know I didn't know he was fearful in previous episodes. Um, that mm. for me wasn't set up you know within this episode unless I missed something. But uh, Crichton was. Nicely set up, but the best kind of um, setup for me to kind of understand, you know, this character, you know, what they're, what they're normally like, uh, and then what they're like, obviously post um, being uh, sucked by the monster. Uh, I suppose was Cat because obviously he was flirting with the uh, the, the lady, the morph, uh, the, the lady morph, if you like, lady and morph. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm going with lady morph for now. And let's uh, do it. Until let's something do better it. comes into my, into my uh, my silly head, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you know, that little exchange between uh, he and her, that kind of, you know, gave me enough to, to realise, OK, yeah, he's pretty vain. So that all made complete sense when that was taken away from him. His vanity was taken away from mm. him. And we saw the complete extreme, I suppose, version of Cat. Uh, Which is like a, a drunk sort of tramp, basically. Mm. He's like a... Uh, which which surprised me because actually my memory playing tricks on me because I thought here and you two won't understand this reference but I thought this was where he turned into Dwayne Dibley uh, and you you two won't know what I'm talking about there but Adam you will find out at some point in the future uh, cool. <laughs> but clearly my memory was was playing tricks on me because this that that's not what happened so that must be a completely different episode and I've merged two episodes into my memory there <laughs> so even even though I've seen all these episodes before my memory yeah. ain't great <laughs> I, I, think, I can't remember everything I, I think my favorite sort of post uh, polymorph character was um I, I've called him Councillor Rimmer you know, the whole, you know, the T-shirt, give Keish a chance, that whole... Yes. Like, he's leading a... Because I think Chris Barry, the actor, like, um, I mean, I think, Jamie, if you if you ever watch other episodes with him in, I think, like, he... I've, what I've learned is Chris Barry is so good at that sort of, I guess, sort of, like, uh, I don't know what you call it, like, downplayed comedy, I think. You know, that not necessarily the most out there, loud, physical. He's very good at, like, the sort of more natural reserved sort and i just thought this was like an absolute vehicle for him that whole that whole segment where he's you know going around with his pipe and he's saying oh you know we'll get the leaflets and then the banners and all that sort of i just thought that was that was my favorite that was perfect let's get tough the time for talking is over Uh, call it extreme if you like but i propose we hit it hard and hit it fast with a major and i mean major leaflet campaign Yeah, the key, give Keish a chance. He was kind of, um, I don't know if you'd caught, no, not hip, he wasn't quite hippie. He was, yeah, that kind of, yeah, probably counsellor is a good word for it, actually. I don't know counselor. why I wrote, it, it just had that, but not necessarily, it's it's like those stereotypes, you see, it's that person in a meeting who, who think, well, who thinks they know it all, but is trying their absolute hardest to tell, to try and convince other people that they don't. He even says it at one point, he has that line, he's, it's something like, Oh, now I'm not trying to make myself as like some kind of leader of the movement or whatever, but it's like, no, you definitely are. Like, <laughs> you definitely are. So, yeah, it was he's, just. It he's was... like that stereotypical sort of political uh, activist type person. That, that, yeah. Like, the, the stereotype of it. 
Not that I'm saying yeah. every political activist person is like this, but the sort of stereotype. And then including leaflets, of course. Um, I'm surprised you didn't suggest a petition as well. Uh, and then uh, the, what is it? They, they, they need a name. So one of the and the oh, name God. they come up with is the Committee for the Liberation and Integration of Terrifying Organisms and Their Rehabilitation into Society. Oh, yes. Or for short, clitoris. <laughs> ah, you said the C word. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was, I, I mean, that I got must a laugh admit, I don't know, yeah, call me childish. I proper belly laughed at that. I think only because he was saying the name so fast, my brain could didn't have time to sort of mm. stop and tally what the first letters were. So when, again, proper deadpan as well, just says, oh, but it, it stands for clitor. Yeah, that, that got a belly laugh out of me. I'll give it that. It's Chris Barry's delivery there as well, I think, when he reveals mm. what it is. Because I don't think anybody would have really had the, like you say, it was it was reeled off fairly quickly. So you don't have really necessarily unless you're writing it down as you go like i was um he's, he's, he's very good he's very good it's that delivery at the end where he, he just goes um one drawback with that the abbreviation is clitoris it's very good have you seen uh, jamie have you seen chris barry in anything else i remember and i was just trying to remember the name of it i remember another comedy he was in uh back in the day i think it was also bbc where he pretty much played the same character just in the real world and i'm sure he was like a manager of like a health club or something the british like empire that. yes yes i used to watch that too yeah he's he's got a lot of similar characteristics i do think he plays it slightly differently there though he's got a different voice and much more nasally sort of annoying voice oh yeah no there are there are um, obvious differences and i don't remember him uttering the uh, the c word yeah <laughs> i think i just think he's a great He's a really great character actor in the sense that he can like he can do so many, especially with comedy characters, so many different types of characters. And he's really good. He, he reads the audiobooks for Red Dwarf as well. And ah, okay. he does all the other characters really well. In fact, there wasn't there was an episode, wasn't there, where he uh, malfunctioned or something oh, and he started imitating yeah. the the other characters. And he he just he's just really good. He's got great time at comic timing, and he can really do other voices so well. Is so, he? Uh, I haven't seen him in anything for a long time. From some of the YouTube stuff I do, I I've I've been to some sort of comic cons and what have you to do interviews, and um, I've seen obviously there's no comic cons of of late, but the Red Dwarf, uh, a lot of the Red Dwarf guys seem to be um, quite regular at the um, UK comic cons at least, um, but. In terms of new comedy being on television, I've, I've, I'm not aware of anything he's done recently. Is he still, is no. he still active? I, well, I, other than doing yeah. Red Dwarf, I'm not sure because uh, I think he's in his early, early sixties now. I want to say maybe mid sixties. I think he's in his sixties. So I'm just looking on yeah. his IMDb. He's, uh, yeah, really, it's mostly Red Dwarf, and then there's a couple of like non like non-fiction things like car crash tv he's the narrator of um and various things like that so you know he hasn't done much other than other than that recently i remember that's that he why was he's in... at comic cons every weekend then <laughs> i guess so he was in um the lara croft movies wasn't he the tomb raider movies he was played he, I don't he that. played lara croft's butler Really? In the two, uh, the Angelina Jolie, the Angelina ones. Jolie ones. Oh, I mean, I that haven't rewatched really his... those in. Oh God, 
yeah. ages. So <laughs> that was probably the the sort of biggest thing he's been in, other than Red Dwarf, I think. Uh, no, I, I I think he's a great actor though. He he does stuff. He just does the voices really well. Uh, what, what did we did we discuss all of the the people that changed? Uh, so we got Cat. Yeah, he's he took his thing. Uh, um, smooth sort of smoothness and vanity away. Crichton had his guilt. Yeah, uh, yeah anger and yeah. yeah. What uh, what did we all think when when they when they've devised their plan to go and find the polymorph? Um, it was the just before they uh, well they trick it and blow it up. Um, I'm curious because we've seen. You know when we've seen before the full size polymorph creature, like the or the the puppet or the model, if you like, we've seen that you know physically there with them. But for whatever reason, for the establishing shot of it rising behind them, they decided to go for the blue screen. And I don't know about you, to, but to me, like the the fringe, I guess for anyone who doesn't know the term fringing, where you can sort of see you know the specks of blue around the silhouettes and stuff. That like there's been some great instances of it in the series where it's come off really well. This didn't seem like one of them, and uh, like I was thinking about it, and I was like, "Well, we've seen the full puppet like w- with them before, you know, towering over them." So I don't know why they decided to to go for a was blue it bigger? screen shot with that. I, I didn't pay. Well, I didn't maybe it was, it, but, but maybe was... they wanted to make it a bit bigger. Yeah, that... I don't know. It just the, the effect didn't work as much for me personally. That but... did stand out to me as well, but again, like I said earlier. Coming in cold, not knowing how they usually played their uh, special effects in Red Dwarf, I wasn't sure if it was just, you know, a bit, bit of dodgy uh, keying there, yeah. or if it was yeah. uh, knowingly supposed to be a little bit bad. Maybe it was. Yeah, I, I, I have to remember with Red Dwarf because so used to watching other like like dramas and stuff. Whereas obviously this being a comedy, sometimes I'm like just cl- close that analytical brain down a little bit. You know, this is a comedy. So you might be right, but yeah, I just remember it. It just sort of stood out. It was like, whoa, like there's, there's some fringing, all right. So, <laughs> but I, I enjoyed the monster. The mon- I thought, you know, that did stand out to me, and I was sort of it, it took me out a little bit trying to decide again whether that was just technically a mistake, bad, or was that supposed to be, you know, knowingly bad. Yeah, but um, yeah, generally, yeah. I really enjoyed the monster. I thought, thought it was funny and that. Uh, uh, the, there was one moment where it shrunk into sort of like a mini version of itself uh, yes, and just yeah. sort of uh, gave gave him some jip as it scurried off. You know, I, I enjoyed the monster, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a good bit of design as well. Nice bit of bit of sort of practical, when they did do it practically, uh, sort of monster work. And yeah, yeah it's good. Mm, absolutely. How do, how do you think it ended, though? It, it, it was one of, it's one of those things with Red Dwarf. It always seems to end very abruptly. Like... They found it, they blew it up, suddenly they're all back to normal. It, it was really quick. <laughs> yeah, I remember looking at the uh, how long was left, um, and yeah. there was like three minutes, and we hadn't had a, we weren't close <laughs> to a resolution, you know? Yeah. No, they've, they've, they've done it often, haven't they, so far? Like, even, like, sometimes it works, I think. Sometimes it's like, even in a comedy sense, you sort of think, come on, we want at least one or two more minutes to, but they get, like you say, they work into a tight runtime as well, and I mean, the main one of this, of course, the ending is, are, are we getting a... Because we see the pod again that the polymorph came from, and it says contents two, mm. and then you have that whole, when they leave the shot of Lister, isn't it? Sort of make a weird noise, and then it fades to a polymorph. So, is, yeah. I mean, F- Philip's the all-seeing eye here, because I read <laughs> in my notes, I'm like, are we are we finally getting three seasons in a almost like a two-parter or a continue because it's done this thing so far in the first two seasons where 
I think it's episode two of series one where they have like basically a cliffhanger moment. You know, it ends and you think, right, well, they'll carry that on in the next episode. And they don't. And they, but they eventually do about six episodes later. So now I'm thinking, is this one of those times or are we going to, because this, I think out of all of the ones we've seen so far is this has to be like continued on surely. I mean, I could tell you, but that would slightly well, spoil the surprise. The fun, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. So I, think I assumed it. I assumed think, it was, a, I just assumed it was, I don't know, but I just assumed it was a standalone thing. It was a kind of wink to camera sort of ending, you know, and we'll uh, we'll pick up in a, in a brand new storyline. But uh, again, that's coming in cold. But that was the sort of um, that's how I left it. Um, but I, I, I just looked up, uh, not just, but before we came on, I, I looked up because I wanted to know what year uh, it came out. And mm. um, apparently there was a remastered ending as well. Oh, so I I presume I saw the original ending. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but it says now this is Wikipedia, so you know you might want to go and get a <laughs> second source. Um, but it says remastered ending. When the episode was remastered, Doug Naylor opted to change the ending of the story. In the remastered version, the second polymorph makes its appearance as a bouncing ball, whereupon a caption explains that it was less intelligent as the first, stowed away in Lister's clean underpants drawer, and died of old age many years later. Naylor stated wow. the change of ending was due to his dislike of fans asking him about the second creature's fate in the original ending. So maybe I've just answered the question of whether they do revisit <laughs> well, this. Hey, well, yeah. hey, there you go, but... Wow, okay. I mean... <laughs> Yeah. That caption though that you read out, that is there was a there was an, I think it was the first episode of this series where there's been a lot of changes basically from the end of series two to three. And rather than explain that via the characters, they do a Star Wars scroll type thing. Right. But it's going at about fifty miles an hour. You can't really read it unless you pause frame by frame, which I didn't. And then when we recorded the episode, Philip says to me Oh yeah, that I was like, why has this changed? Why have they not addressed it? And Philip was like, basically they addressed it in the crawl. I was like, oh, the one that back in 1989 no one would have been able to to read, you know, without catch up. But so that seems very of the Red Dwarf producers to just throw in a caption like that, you know? Oh, it was a ball. It was a bit dumb. It died of all that sort of very mean. You're like, yeah, it, it died. Like just. Yeah, that's very Red Dwarf. <laughs> it is, definitely. They they do like to pick and choose where they continue threads on or just go, ah, we're just going to forget about that. Yeah. So do you have a um, any favourite moments or like, funniest moments or your favourite characters in this episode, Jamie? I think I probably, like I said before, I think for me, in, again, coming in cold, despite what I may have seen in the past, um, I understood Kat's transformation best, you know, from how he was, you know, being all all cocky and vain with the with the lady morph and then, you know, having that vanity taken away from him and seeing the complete uh, extreme. Um, so I think that that worked best for me. But to be honest, um, I found it a very enjoyable um, watch. Um, I do enjoy uh, and admire the absurdity of it all. Mm. To be honest, so picking out a, a funny, a funniest moment, I, I, I enjoyed the monster. I know we've sort of uh, bashed it a little bit in terms of its, um, you know, uh, special effects, whether that was uh, meant to be the plan, meant to be the way they were doing it or not. But um, I quite enjoyed that moment when the monster shrunk and just gave them some uh, some jip 
and scurried off. Um, it shrunk itself into like a little sort of slug version and had a funny little yeah. face and yeah, just looked a little bit kind of um, cocky, released some jip and then scurried off. So I enjoyed that and um, I was enjoying the... Um, uh, I'm not just um, not bringing this back to the innuendos, but I was enjoying the kind of um, settling in to the Red Dwarf universe, if you like, with that um, kitchen opening scene, opening scene in terms of, in terms of meeting the characters, at least, um, with the, you know, the, the, the scalpel for uh, cutlery to eat and um, obviously the uh, the underpants thing and the... Uh, the, the cow monster. insemination, uh, artificial insemination <laughs> syringe for the that lemon too, <laughs> of course, and yeah. yeah, the monster bursting out of the bin. So yeah, I, I, to be honest, I, I, I'm finding it quite hard to pick a particular moment. I, I did. I, now I'm not going to say whether I'll watch more. Uh, I wouldn't mm. be against watching more, but there's so much to watch these days. You know, <laughs> no, it's not, no, it's, it's not that high up on the priority the list yet, and this is kind of like well. You know, if I've waited decades to watch it already, I can probably wait another decade, you know, once I've got through everything else that's on my, on my list already. When there'll be even more TV. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, no, if I had this to the list now, it will eventually work its way to uh, the top. But um, no, I, 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 did, I did genuinely enjoy the episode and would watch more. What about you, Anne? Did you have a favourite, um, uh, funniest moment, favourite character? favorite um favorite character again um for people who've listened for a while i know i've said this a few times i am gonna have to give it to chris barry uh again um that might be three times on the trot now i'm not sure but he just i again his the way he performs his comedy i just think is brilliant and well it, it clearly really clicks with me as well which is great so yeah i just think he again they did something wildly different and he excelled in it they all did but he was my clear standout in this case and favorite moment it's gonna make me sound really childish but i think because it came out of nowhere it was the whole Crichton trying to help lister get his underpants off um i mean again they both played the physical comedy of it really well and yes it is a bit like oh giggle giggle like oh this looks like something else but it was again i just think they pulled it off no pun intended really well i need to i really need to think this through um favorite lines there were two contenders for me uh one of them again because it was so out out of nowhere um is when we first see lister without his fear and they talk about getting the polymorph and he just goes yeah let's go out there and twat it like just because that was Again, like completely out of nowhere, but it just made me giggle. And the uh, the the c word line, I'll say, just because again, the delivery, the yeah. setup, yeah. So they're my contenders. What about you, Phil? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you've you've covered what I was going to cover. <laughs> I've I think stolen there. Them, I? You've stolen <laughs> all my favorites because yeah, Rimmer definitely uh, was a highlight, especially once he'd. Well, mainly because of when how he was after he'd been affected by the polymorph. Just that whole lot was hilarious, including the the acronym uh, and favorite moment again. Yeah, the shorts just from from the moment that the shorts start to shrink, I was laughing out loud. But yeah, when he's trying to when Crichton is trying to get them off, help him get them off. That was the I was I was like, I'm I think my wife must have been wondering what's going on in the kitchen because that's where I was watching it because <laughs> I was just laughing out loud at that point. So those two moments are definitely the uh, funniest for me. Interestingly, I was uh, looking at the trivia section on IMDb for this episode, 
uh, as we've been recording. And you know, we were talking about the warning at the beginning and stuff, and 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 it being strange because it was on after the watershed anyway. But apparently, in the early nineteen nineties, uh, when it got aired in Canada, it used to air on a TV channel called YTV, which was a channel aimed at younger viewers. And normally, apparently, they would edit out some of the more risque language and content of each episode to air it. Apparently with this uh-huh. episode, they just gave up and never aired this episode <laughs> because they just could not right. work out a way to edit out all of the stuff that would not be suitable for a young audience in this episode. Valid. <laughs> Completely valid. <laughs> uh, what about marks out of 10? What would you guys give it out of 10? I'm thinking... Yeah, like... I've proved how bad my memory is because I watched this like, you know, a couple of hours ago and uh, talking to you guys has brought bits back that I'd forgotten about already. And um, <laughs> yeah, the there were a lot of, there were, I, I mean, I'm not a loller, you know, I don't do much laughing out loud. I'm that, This is one reason I'll never do reaction videos. I'm not being a snob. Mm. I just, there's just no point. I am boring to look at, you know, when I'm watching something. <laughs> I, so I'm sure not like, is. if you just saw me watching this, you'd be like, well, he didn't, he didn't think much to that, but uh, there were some internal lows, and I'd be with you there on the uh, the C word uh, section, and also, yeah, I, I mentioned already the whole kitchen bit, and that obviously included uh, the red pants and trying to get those off, etc. And um, yeah, uh, Chris Barry's performance was the strongest. So you know, it, it had good comedy performances, it had some good gags, it was entertaining all round, and. I quite appreciated the, you know, uh, inconsistent effects. Um, mm-hmm. I'd give it, I'd give it a good seven out of ten. Nice. What about you, Adam? Uh, I'm gonna go. With, I'm gonna give this a nine out of ten. You know, nice. uh, just because. Uh, which I think uh, I'd have to go back through the other episodes. I think this is only my second or third nine out of ten out of all the episodes so far. I think. Um, I think, yeah, again, the, the comedy for the most part worked. The performances really worked. Uh, like you said, Jamie, I admired the whole polymorph creature, even if in bits it looked a bit a bit this and that. But, you know, I admire the, the achievement of it as well. And it's one of the more memorable episodes, um, just because now that I've seen a good, uh, I think this is like the 15th overall episode, uh, some episodes, it's like any show, isn't it? You know, you have those that clearly stick in your head more than more than others. And I think this will be one of them that, that will stick around. So, yeah, that's why I rate it so highly. I, th- Phil? I think, yeah, this is one of those episodes that that when people say Red Dwarf to somebody that has watched the show or even somebody that has a casual sort of reference, frame of reference to it, they tend to think of this episode, well, one of several episodes. This episode, the backwards one, is another one that we watched earlier on in the season. There's a few episodes that people instantly remember, and this is one of them. And I can see why it's it's got some great physical comedy. It's got some great character comedy as well in it, mainly through them having to shift personalities, which was really good um, and allowed for some some nice just a bit of a change as well from seeing them in their in their regular personas. So, yeah, I thought this was a really funny episode It's probably one of my favorites so far in, in this rewatch. So I think I was I was. I don't know whether or not to give it mm, not I'm going between nine and nine point five. It's Ooh, I think I'm gonna goodness. go nine. I think I'm gonna be with you on the nine there. It's All right. it's definitely up there with the I can't remember I've given a nine before, but I can't remember which episode it was for now. This is how bad my memory is. 
But mm. yeah, I think it's definitely up there with the best of them so far. The theme tune deserves oh, a 10. I remember nice. that. I remember theme that tune. as a kid. That <laughs> deserves a 10 out of 10. That is great. And that I don't know if they've ever done it, but they should definitely release an album of all the songs because occasionally they do a, like an in-universe song as well. And it usually comes in the form of somebody having a dream and they'll be having a, a song in the dream. But there, there's been several throughout the run and, and I think there's going to be more as well. So they should definitely release an album because I'd probably buy that. But yeah, that's that's kind of it, I guess. Unless anybody else has got anything else to say about the episode that we missed. No? I don't think so, man. Excellent. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us, Jamie. Um, Hi, thanks. Well, thank you for having me. Where can people find you online? Yeah, online. You know, don't don't stalk me in person. Well, you can if you want. But, <laughs> Where can people turn up <laughs> at your house? We, we love Jamie's sites. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I uh, my house is on um, Twitter, YouTube, uh, and <laughs> it's the Geek End. So we mentioned the spelling earlier. It's the Geek End, Geek End D. Uh, so it's forward slash the Geek End for YouTube. Um, and I think it's Geek End YT for Twitter and also Instagram as well. Excellent. Definitely go check that out and check out um, Jamie's recent series, Lightspeed Tonight, which is hilarious. It's kind of a, a spoof on talk sh- uh, like a, a John Oliver type news current affairs comedy show, isn't it? Uh, but set yeah. in the Star Wars universe. Yeah. more. It's, yeah. So it's a bit of a play on uh, last week tonight with John Oliver um, and it's it's set in universe however we make a few real world references which was more to not limit the comedy potential that just sticking to in universe uh might give and also um alienate um you know the more casual fans if you're just going into sort of um really niche star wars uh you know references and jokes yeah, so if you're listening to this podcast, I presume you like sci-fi comedy. So there you go, check that out, because that is Star Wars sci-fi, but comedy. So do check that out. Uh, Adam, let plug mm. your socials. So, um, you can find me on YouTube, Adam Martin, with a Y. I feel like I, I say that every week, but the amount of professional engagements I've had where it's like, oh, Adam Martin, and they give me the sheet, and it's like, no, you've, you've spelt it wrong. Um, so it's Martin with a Y on YouTube. I make videos uh, primarily on things like Doctor Who, but I also explore things like classic British TV, things like idents, closed downs, etc. And just um, whatever I'm interested in, quite frankly. It's a, it's, a, it's a big jumble sale, and I'm sure you'll find a good deal there. Or you can follow me on Twitter at Adam Martin Actor for daily ramblings. I'm on a bit of a, well, at the time we're recording this in May, I'm on a bit of a Eurovision kick at the minute, because the contest is coming up. It's one of the highlights of my year, and yeah, I'm loving it. Love a bit of Eurovision. <laughs> And you can find me on my YouTube channel, which you might be watching this podcast on, um, which is Philip Hawkins, just my name. And on Twitter, I am, I'm going to spell it out for you, I-U-D-E-X underscore Phil, which is pronounced Udex, but nobody ever, if I said Udex, you wouldn't spell it that way. So so it's I-U-D-E-X underscore Phil. Um, thanks for watching. Do leave comments in, in below, in the comment section below if about what you thought of this episode. If you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or any of those other places, give us a like um, and a rating or whatever they do on, on those things. I should really get more familiar about what kind of things you can do on those on those other platforms. I only really know YouTube. So there you go. And we'll be back next week for the next episode 
cracking on with more of series three thanks for listening mm-hmm. and we'll see you soon right. goodbye see you later